Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Some days in football give you everything you crave. Others don't. At Anfield a week ago, a nil-nil draw left you craving more, craving that release of energy and tension that a goal brings. At Old Trafford in the FA Cup, one of the country's most historic fixtures delivered in bucket loads. It excited and entertained, and most importantly, Manchester United won. 22 years on from the day that an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer late winner against Liverpool had continued United's troubled dreams, this time it was Bruno Fernandes to arrive off the bench and provide that glorious moment we all craved. Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast with Harry Robinson and Jack Tate. It's another happy, happy day, Jack. Um, as well as talking Liverpool today, I'll be giving you your regular youth loan and women's roundup and we'll be looking ahead to games against Sheffield United and Arsenal as well. But Jack, there are moments in any season, um, but especially in successful ones, which we can hope this might be, there are moments that stick out more than others. That Liverpool win that Solskjaer scored in in the FA Cup fourth round in 1999 is one of those. And this, um, in 2021, we will hope will be one of them. And to borrow a ridiculous Liverpool phrase, marketing slogan, this means a, a little bit more, doesn't it? And it, it was just a really good game as well. This does mean a lot. It means a hell of a lot, I think, just based on where we are in this season, the fact that everything is sort of going so positively and the one thing we were missing was this sort of iconic victory against one of our rivals. And okay, it may not have come in the league, but this this is a big day for, for Man United and for this team, I think. And, and this was a wonderful game to watch. It had everything. It was everything that we wanted from last week's nil-nil that we didn't quite get in the end. Two teams that at the yeah. moment are, are very evenly matched, really just going at each other for 90 minutes. There wasn't any amount of of holding back or or risk aversion in this game at all. Both teams were really going for the win from from the first minute. Both teams creating some very good chances and playing some very good football while they were at it as well from both teams. It was a wonderful victory for United in the end. I think over the course of, of the 90 minutes, we just about deserved. Yeah, I think so. And I, th- this game could have gone either way. I think we did deserve it. Um, but it, it did, it toed and froed like the very best cup ties do. And it's a, it's a great advert for cup football and a reminder of the kind of weakness of league football sometimes. But also I think in a strange way, it, I think it, it's a reminder that football, really football needs mistakes to be entertaining. And this is what happens when football is a little bit imperfect. I'd say all five goals resulted from a mistake somewhere. Some of them bigger than others, some of them more obvious than others. Some of them, both teams may have scored without the mistake. But this is what happens when football is slightly imperfect. You get a really entertaining game. Yeah, f- football needs that those sort of imperfections, I think. It always has done. And even the very best teams, it, it's so difficult to score goals without at least sort of one small mistake from the opposition in the build-up to a goal. It's almost impossible to to sort of be that good that a defensive team can do everything right and, and you're still able to score. I think it was probably a good showcase of, of what these two teams are at the moment in that they are very good teams who, especially going forward, have some r- real quality and are extremely dangerous when they have the ball. But defensively, there are mistakes to be made and that means there are opportunities to be had yeah. in the game at Anfield. Neither team really 
both didn't make too many of those mistakes, but also didn't capitalize on them when they, when they were around. And that was really the difference in this game. There were a few more, more mistakes from both teams, but I think to be fair, probably caused by the fact that both teams were also much more aggressive with what they were trying to do yeah. going forward. You know, the, the kind of balls that, that Rashford and Greenwood played for our first two goals, we, you weren't really seeing that sort of aggression and that sort of ambition from us to that same extent at Anfield. And that sort of caused the mistakes. So it swings, it swings around. There were mistakes, but you also have to give credit to both attacks yes, to sort um, of getting themselves in a position to cause the mistakes. But as you said, in, imperfect football makes for, for the best games at times. Yeah. But it's some really clinical finishing, both from Salah uh, and, and from Rashford and Greenwood and, and obviously Bruno as well. And at, at, at both ends, you had Firmino and Salah who looked at their very best at times. And Firmino was terrifying in, in, in moments, but then also Cavani with ridiculously good movement and Greenwood and Rashford with great uh, setup play and finishing. Um, we've got loads to get through. Uh, I guess the first point to make beyond that is United managed to basically be better than Liverpool without Bruno Fernandes on the pitch for, for a long time and scored two against one of Europe's best teams while Bruno Fernandes wasn't on the pitch. And that is a a big change over the last couple of months. And I guess the players and the reasons that meant we didn't need Bruno in order to play well, well, Marcus Rashford is, is probably top of that list. He he scored, but he, he also acted as a, a playmaker. He had the physical advantages of pace and strength and, but also experience over Reese Williams, who had a bit of a shocker and it showed. And he used those natural advantages in order to change his game a bit to be a playmaker rather than, than um, his, his primary focus being on scoring. A brilliant finish and a well-timed run for his goal. And that comes with his own positive conclusions. But that pass to Greenwood was outstanding and it wasn't a one-off. I mean, that, I mean, that ball alone it was, I think, enough to, to say that, you know, he, he changed the game in our favour. And as you said, it wasn't a one-off. He was brilliant all game. The entire left side of our team actually was, was brilliant all day. Shaw and Rashford, were terrorising uh, Alexander-Arnold and Salah down Liverpool's right. And that really yeah. was where all of our threat came from for almost the entire game. There, there are some games where Rashford, sort of from the first like four or five minutes, you can just tell that, that he's on it for whatever reason. Yeah. Where, where, I don't know what, what sort of causes that and why some games he's like that and some games he's a little bit off the pace. But this was just a game where you could clearly see from the very beginning that that he was going to have a big influence on this game. He was so direct when he picked up the ball. Every single time he had it, he was running at Trent. And he, I mean, he just loves playing against Liverpool at Old Trafford. Uh, this isn't the yeah. first time that he's been the main man against Liverpool at home and has scored a couple of goals. And especially against Trent Alexander-Arnold, he, he, he just loves giving <laughs> him nightmares down our left. Yeah. And and it was interesting after listening to Solskjaer talk about Rashford's goal and he said, give credit to the coaching staff who were on the touchline shouting, switch, switch, switch. Um, because they'd spotted the Greenwood run that Rashford maybe hadn't have done. And Rashford looked up and even if he didn't switch it, full credit for playing what was just a, a, the perfect pass, the absolute perfect pass. And he, he, to do that from a standing start, he was stood still to dig out a 50 yard pass of that quality that lands perfectly at Mason Grumman's feet and just, just trickles over the head of um, James Milner, who was flailing about in the air was, it, it was perfection, but social talking about those, those shouts of switch, switch, switch. And it, it, is evidence of, of how he got the tactics right. This was his first win over Liverpool as United manager at the fifth attempt. And on this occasion, he emphasised switching the play to take advantage of that space left by Liverpool's attacking fullbacks, um, Alexander-Arnold and Robertson. And he left Rashford and Greenwood a little bit higher than maybe they would have been in a league game where we might have been more worried about those fullbacks as we were at Anfield. And that meant that when United got the ball, when we won it back, the counterattacks were so efficient and it, there was always one thing in mind and that was immediately to get those early passes over the top of the defence and switch the play into that pocket of space deserted by Alexander-Arnold and, and Robertson, who, as I think a lot of people have said over the last couple of years, might be very good attacking fullbacks, but leave a lot to be desired in terms of defence. Yeah, it was in some ways, and, and this is there was also the case before the Anfield game and we just didn't really capitalise on it you always thought that this Liverpool team the way they set up especially with their fullbacks in particular was sort of perfect for us it, it was rife for us to 
to take advantage of because they do leave a lot of space in behind out wide. And that is where our main threat comes from, whether it's Greenwood, Martial, Rashford, even Dan James at times. That is exactly the kind of, of game that we thrive in, where there are spaces in behind, especially out wide, for us to attack. We didn't quite do it well enough at Anfield, partly actually, I think because Liverpool showed us quite a lot of respect and, and Trent and, and Robertson didn't actually push up quite as far as, as they normally do. Yeah. But yeah, the, the first goal in particular was exactly that idea that Robertson had pushed so far forward in attack and I, I guess is sort of used to normally having such a, such a good defensive pairing in Van Dijk and Gomez behind him that can kind of get away with it with a defensive pairing that, that maybe wasn't quite so secure in Fabinho and, and Reese Williams, but then also James Milner from midfield, just not quite being able to reach the ball. It, you know, it's a combination again of, of Liverpool leaving that door ajar for us, but Rashford and, and Greenwood really taking that opening brilliantly. And it was a, almost exactly the same for the second goal, just a, a reversal of, uh, of roles for Rashford and Greenwood. I, I thought we did brilliantly most of the game to, to sort of quell Liverpool's threat. They had a few chances here and there. But really, I think in general, again, we, we stopped them from doing too much going forward. We stopped that supply coming in to, to, you know, we stopped that supply coming in to a large extent from Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. And when we did have the chance to go forward, we attacked with real purpose and real pace, much more so than we did against Liverpool yeah. last week. Yeah, and, and, and that is credit to both the players, but also to Solskjaer. And yeah. we can... Uh, I think we we tend to get the balance right in terms of criticising when he gets it wrong and, and praising when he gets it right. And this was certainly a a, a time to praise. Um, he got the tactics right and it, it paid off handsomely. United's two goals were exactly the same, just on different sides and reversed roles for for Greenwood and Rashford. Uh, other credit has to, I mean, there's, there's so many places it has to go. And it, it is a strange one. I said at the start, this was a, a game that toed and froed and... and I think particularly after Liverpool had got the second, their equaliser, Salah's second goal, there was a period where he thought, especially after they brought Sadio Mane on as well, who's probably one of their best players at the moment. Um, well, always one of their best players, but particularly at the moment when Salah's been slightly off and Firmino's been slightly off. But then Firmino really took control of the game and, and yeah, was, was playing brilliant. brilliantly. And he thought that this could run away from us. So it's not to say that this was... The, the perfect dominant performance. And Salah had a, had a one-on-one with Henderson yeah, as well yeah. after they scored the, the second goal too. That- yeah. So I don't, I don't want to talk about this as if it was the perfect dominant performance, but in a cup game, you're never going to get that. So you kind of, after you win, you, you do look at the positives and, and the positives were many. Paul Pogba, I mean, our last episode was titled Pogba's Month and, and it really is. And I, I'm loving it at the moment. This is a, a guy who has played all over the pitch in the last few weeks, right centre mid, left centre mid, attacking midfield, left midfield, right midfield on both wings. And he changed halfway through on Sunday, uh, having played in the centre originally. He was caught in possession early on. That was certainly concerning. It happened to a few of our players and it actually was the, the reason for the second goal when Cavani lost the ball. And United do need to rid that from their game, but Pogba defended well, most notably when he started the move that United scored from the equaliser, the the um, the Greenwood goal. Pogba wins the ball back, then Van der Beek to Rashford, and uh, Rashford to Greenwood to finish. And yeah, Pogba is just in in excellent form, working really hard, and from everything you hear as well, um, especially after the game on Sunday actually quite happy again I think it's what we were saying in the last episode as well that feels a little bit different you know we've seen these kind of performances from Pogba before we've, we've seen him dominate games we've seen him you know put goals on a platter for our forwards we've seen him sort of run the show at times I think, I think what we haven't seen is two things one doing it week after week even when he, he's had say a, a good month or two in the past it's been one or two good performances out of like five or six. Yeah. Whereas this is sort of every game that he's playing at the moment is a very, very high standard. But I think the biggest difference is that he's doing it in all different types of games, in all different types of positions as well, and fulfilling really all all of the roles that he's being asked to do brilliantly. You know, I said last week that one of the criticisms of Pogba is that he does it sort of in, in quote-unquote easy situations. You know, he'll put score the fourth goal in a, in a 4-0 win or you know he'll he'll play really well against bottom half uh, Premier League teams, but won't step up in the big games. And actually, yeah. that isn't an accusation you can hit him with at all. Recently, against Liverpool last week, I thought he was brilliant at Anfield, playing out on the right, did a really good job, sort of marshalling uh, 
uh, Robertson down Liverpool's left and then played in midfield the start was a little bit shaky I was tweeting about this quite a lot during the game I felt the first sort of 20 minutes or so we really were losing out a lot in mid- in midfield yeah agree. but actually Solskjaer changed it up credit to him and, and Pogba responded brilliantly because I think from about half an hour onwards he was one of the best players on the pitch he really think- did run the show defensively very very good yeah, I, th- I think that's the, th- the great thing about Bob at the moment is the fact that it doesn't matter what position he's playing in, he's playing well. Yeah, exactly. And he's, and he's playing well and, and doing all of the jobs that he's being asked to do in whatever role he's in. You know, when he was played out on the right, it's sort of easy to think, oh, I'm just a right winger now. My, my job is just to go forward and score goals. But actually, he did a brilliant job on, on Robertson at Anfield. And defensively, this week as well, he was, again, after sort of the first 20 minutes or so, very, very good it's, it's, it's brilliant to watch at the moment it really yeah. is and I, I think that it, it feels different it feels different to other moments where Pogba has been in good form and we've sort of had to say well you know is this going to last I'm yeah. not sure I, I guess we're still not sure if it's going to last but this does at least feel it feels different and a bit more sustainable that it's this almost perfect marriage at the moment of Pogba's natural talent which we, we know he's had for for ages but also with the tactics and him being part of a system and not sort of being asked to just do great things without much going yeah, on around it's him. him not being the main man. I feel like all over and not just to do with Pogba, but also to do with being in the title race, beating other good teams, um, Cavani being involved in a team, Rashford being in good form. Oh, there's loads of things going on where United fans all over the world are kind of just trying to convince themselves that, is not going to work out if that makes sense telling telling ourselves that no this can't happen um, and I, I, I think that applies to the title race and it applies to Pogba having a, uh, a long period of form but also perhaps staying beyond this summer it was interesting to Andy Mitten on United We Stand after the Liverpool game saying he thinks that Pogba could be set to stay at United and that's there there is so much hope at the club at the moment that you don't want to get sucked in so far that we're that I I think everyone's just concerned about being let down aren't they I think it's it's always a bit of a worry I think United fans have been scarred so much in the last few few years and every every time we felt like we we were moving forward we're making progress it was a false dawn or there was some sort of scandal that would put everything back to square one there would be a run of bad results immediately following around a good results and and that's been the case under Solskjaer as well in the past you know it's not to say that it's only been you know Mourinho Van Gaal etc so yeah I think there there is always this worry that maybe this is another false dawn and that we're not actually as good as as maybe we we look at the moment and as we think we are I think the only solace you can take from it again to, to sort of hammer home the point is this hasn't been us just putting in the same good performance over and over with ground out results. We've, we've finished teams off really well. We've scored late goals, you know, when we've been down. I, I think you have to take some comfort from the fact that this is not only a team that has a very good plan A, but has a plan B, C, D as well. And that I think when we've played well in the past and had these good runs, it's mainly just been that plan A constantly works, which as good as that is, is, is maybe not quite as sustainable when you get into a difficult position. Whereas this feels like it is hopefully a little bit more sustainable because we are adaptable. We're playing so much, so differently whenever we need to and still coming out with good results. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And there's there's obvious things to work on in the team. And I guess that, that is kind of a good thing because you think, what what could we do with even more? And I think that applies to... United, and we've got a question about this in the patron Q&A about our midfield in big games. McTominay and Fred, I think everyone kind of always felt was a short term. It was the best option, but we could do better. That is an area you can improve on in, in big games particularly. But Donny van der Beek as well, who we're going to talk about in, in a second. Um, if he becomes a consistently reliable and good option, that's a massive boost. And and Greenwood coming into form, Martial, Rash, there, there's so much more that can be better. And that, I think, is only a positive. Um, I think. Um, but Bruno Fernandes just, just delivers and delivers. 
Um, stayed 45 minutes working on free kicks when he was told he wouldn't be playing. And when the big moment came, he, he delivered. Um, I mean, yeah, just we are beyond words for him now. I think just so, so reliable and, and he's, he's not had his best period the last couple of weeks and he's looked tired and it, I was delighted to see United play well without him, but he is just a fantastic player and has changed the club. I mean, the impact is, is laughable to, to be honest, what Fernandez has done since he's come to United. It, it really is. I mean, it's, it's almost a year yeah. to the day as we're recording this since he signed and you, you really just can't overstate in any way the impact that he's had on this football club. And it's not, you know, I think it's easy to sort of to say, well, he scored all these goals and assisted all these goals and he is the only reason why United have, have improved. Obviously, that's not the case. You know, there have been other factors, other players improving. I think Solskjaer's improved as a coach. We, we have a better squad now than we did when he first joined, without a doubt. The depth is so much better. But it is hard to think of anything more significant than Fernandez's arrival and what he has done, not only to the quality that we have on the pitch, but also the mentality of this team as well. The, the, the mental side of football is such an, an enigma, I think, for anyone who has not played at a professional level. It's so, so difficult to ever understand mentally what it takes to be a professional footballer with the pressure of the Premier League and also what it takes to build a winning mentality. We hear that phrase all the time. And I think it, it's generally very well accepted that it's very important that a team has a winning mentality to be a, a successful team. But it's so difficult. Like, how, how, what, how do you know if a team has that? How do you go about building it without experiencing it? And I think, yeah. honestly, the, the change that United have gone through since Fernandez has, has arrived at the club is probably the, the clearest I've ever seen a professional sports team go through a mentality change so quickly. And he has clearly been at the forefront yeah. of that. There's, Whether it's coming down from... There, there's so many branches to it, isn't there? Because there is, there's the mentality on the pitch in terms of looking to a leader figure when you go behind or, or when you're ahead for taking inspiration from their work rate, the way they react to decisions going against you, that kind of stuff. And then there is the... The, the inner workings of the dressing room about having a, a, a figure right at the top of that. And I think United have a, a couple of those yeah. at the moment. And Pogba, I mean, let's be honest, Pogba has been that figure. He might not have been for United fans, but he has been for United players since he joined the club. And and everything you hear, the, the young players at United and most of the players at United look up to Paul Pogba as their main influence. And... I, I, I think Pogba has shown the ability to lead a team very, very occasionally in his career, but that is not his his mentality nor his type of player. He is he isn't the the alpha male of the squad, and Bruno Fernandez is to to take a a point made on the Stadio podcast by Musa Okwonga recently. Uh, Pogba is is the beta player, and Fernandez is the alpha player and th there's also the I mean talking about dressing room point Fernandez was talking recently about going in when United lost uh, sorry not lost but it, it felt like a loss but drew to Leicester on, on Boxing Day I think it was the late 2-2 when um, they equalised yeah. late on and he spoke about how, how satisfied he was to go into the dressing room and find everyone just very disappointed and very down about it and frustrated and so there's, there's that, but then there's also on the training pitch, you've got on the pitch, the dressing room, but also on the training pitch, you, everyone else goes into the dressing room and you see Bruno Fernandes carrying on training, carrying on practicing. And that yeah. sends a message as well. And I, I think if you read Ferguson's books and other people's books about the development of Manchester United in the nineties, the, the real impact of Cantona was partly in his quality on the pitch, partly in the way he helps young players. But a lot of it was just in terms of training. It was that he would stay out afterwards and he would ask players to come and help him just practice yeah. his volleys for half an hour after training ended. And so that there are so many branches to the, the way that a player can change can change the mentality of a team and change the fortunes of a team. And yeah, you're right. It's, it's so hard to understand, but I think if you consider those three things, the dressing room on the pitch and on the training pitch, you can, it, it's 
so evident how much of an impact Fernandez has made. And I, I, I guess we've spoken about it a lot, but the, you, you can't help it, particularly when he, he comes off the bench to do something like this. I, I think the, the, the point I think that's really important here is the training aspect of it as well, because this is something that if you, you read about any historically good, you know, I, I'm talking not, not just sort of good as in sort of, oh, oh they were a good player. I'm talking about, you know, the, the greats of, of any sport, that is the common theme that runs through in any team sport is that they stand out because they, despite the fact that they are, you know, the most famous, the most, the best, the most high profile players, the most talented normally on any given team, they also are the most exemplary trainers that you could ever want. You know, whether it's Bruno Fernandes, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, you know, whether it's Tom Brady in the NFL, there, there's so many examples of, in every single sport of, you know, cricketers staying out in the nets afterwards to practice their range hitting, of, you know, rugby players practicing their kicking for hours and hours after the training session ends. In every sport, that is the theme that runs through all of these historically great sportsmen. And Fernandez has, has brought that to United. And not only, obviously, is it good for Fernandez because he's spending more time training, but the message that it sends to everyone else is absolutely massive. It, it's why Ronaldo has always been such a, a an inspirational yeah. leader wherever he's gone, even if it's not necessarily through through vocal leadership. His example, you know, if you're if you're a young player or, or someone on the fringes of the, of the team and you turn up to training and see Cristiano Ronaldo, the, arguably the, the biggest sports star on the planet, and, and he, after having everything, the world at his feet, is still spending an extra hour on the training ground every single day. What sort of message does that send yeah. to you as a young player? The message that sends is that that is that is the only thing that's acceptable to be putting in those extra hours, to be going that extra mile. And I think that's what Fernandez has brought to us. It's been honestly since the very first week, I can remember this time last year, the very first week that Fernandez joined, reports were coming out that he was demanding more of everyone in training and that the the intensity of of every training session had gone through the roof since Fernandez yeah. joined, and it was that immediate impact that was just huge. And then, you know, doing all that off the pitch is one thing, and it can help have a good impact on other players. And I, I certainly think that almost every single player in our team has improved as a result of Fernandez joining United. But then, really, the, really the cherry on top <laughs> is on pitch quality, quality, yeah. and the goals and assists that he has produced himself on the pitch. I mean, the numbers that he's put up are are quite ridiculous since he's joined, and it it honestly is it's almost beyond description now how important he is for us. Well, it's, it's and the, the the numbers that he's putting up. It's what we were, we were saying a couple of weeks ago: is that these are numbers that are only equaled in Europe at the elite level by Ronaldo, Messi, Lewandowski, Mbappe. Neymar, these these are, are contributions in terms of just pure goals and assists that are only matched by the very very best of European football, and yeah, and 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 to do that as well as the the rest of, of the things we've just spoken about, which it might seem like stating the obvious, but I think it is underrated in a in an era where there's rightly been more focus on the tactical side of things, the statistical side of things where the game has come on so far in that regard, but it can be underrated how important just the simple things that have always been important in every sport, like practice can be and mentality. Um, Although it was, it was funny to hear Bruno come out after and he said he'd been practicing free kicks, but he also said that uh, Edison Cavani had, told him where to hit that free kick, told him to hit it hard one side of the goalkeeper rather than trying to get that postage stamp top corner. And it, it worked perfectly. There was also a great duck from both Harry Maguire and yeah, Paul Pogba to get out of the way of that free kick. I, I didn't realise at the time in the pure delirium, um, but imagine if, if that free kick had just struck one of those two um, on the back or the head and just kind of bobbled yeah. wide. It's a crazy what if, but I'm talking about Cavani. The focal I think point just that he really offers and free kicks like that from from that close in on the edge of the box. I don't know why this isn't something that players do more often. Instead of there's almost no point bothering trying to get it up and over the wall from that close because to get it to to come down that soon, you have to put so little power on it. The goalkeeper is obviously going to get there, and to put any sort of power yeah. on it, there's no way you can get it up and over the wall. Honestly, the I think the best 
scenario that is just to hit it hard into the goalkeeper's side and hope that either his weight is on his wrong foot as Allison's was or that he sort of parries out for a rebound. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it was the perfect choice and it was executed perfectly as well. Yeah. Um, but Cavani, I've, the focal point he offers is just, <laughs> it's just brilliant. His off the ball movement is, is sensationally good and changes the whole team. And, and it's kind of dawned on me that you only really need one player who is brilliant at his movement to change the team because he responds to where Rashford runs. He responds to where Greenwood runs, where where the cross of the ball is, where the, the chance is being set up. And just because he responds, that's all it needs is one of those players. And he is that player and involved in everything. Obviously lost the ball for... Um, a, a poor pass that let Liverpool score their second goal. But the the late header, another example of brilliant movement, another example of brilliant execution from Bruno Fernandes. I was guided that I didn't go in because it would have been the cherry on top of a, a brilliant game, an incredible result, but also just a fantastic performance from Cavani, who I just, I've rarely enjoyed watching a player more. I, he's been just at superb. He really has. I think he, he's, the impact that he gives to our team is massive because we are a team, we've said this for so long, we're a team that has a wealth of, of talent in the wide areas and now, especially with Fernandez in the number 10 role as well. And what we've sort of been missing, and, and you know, Martial offers us out, you know, different things as a striker. That's not to say that he isn't a good option for us, but Cavani offers us so much more of a focal point to our attack. And the way he comes short lays the ball off into the midfield and allows those runners in behind and the likes of Rashford, Greenwood, Fernandez is just brilliant. And it is so, so good to watch him. His movement, I really wish that Sky Sports still did. Back in, would have been like 2007, maybe they had player cam where you could press the red button on the TV. Yeah. I'm sure you remember this, Harry, and you could just watch one player for the entire game. I really wish that yeah. they did that still and you could do that with Cavani because... I would love to just actually watch him for 90 minutes and watch his movement because any time I, I do sort of watch him when we have the ball going forward, it, it's honestly mesmerising watching his movement. He is, as someone who's a centre-back in, in their own <laughs> terrible career, the thinking about playing against Cavani <laughs> or anyone like Cavani is just an absolute nightmare. You're just someone who's just constantly on the move, constantly harassing you. And, you know, sure, he gets caught out of position sometimes with his tracking back and... You know, he's, he's definitely not the most polished player in the world, but he's just brilliant to watch and has been tr- truly a, a brilliant, brilliant signing and really deserved his goal from that header at the end. He was so unlucky to hit the post. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I could just I could just see that nestling in. And it was such a nice cross from, from Fernandez as well. The perfect cross, the perfect way that Cavani hung in the air and then almost the, the perfect header downwards into the bottom corner, just a, an inch and it might have, an inch to the left and it might have gone in off the, the right post. Um, Donny van der Beek, we're going to talk about after the youth alone and women's roundup and the post episodes Q and A. Uh, that we would normally, that is normally only accessible to patrons will be accessible to everyone as a treat for us beating Liverpool. And, and that is the only reason. Um, but we're going to talk about Donny van der Beek in there, the athletic reporting that, uh, Solskjaer met with van der Beek before the Fulham game to assure him that his opportunities would come and that there was no chance of him being loaned out or sold this month or in the summer and that United see him as a long-term player and impressed it at his professionalism. So we'll be talking about van der Beek, who I, I was really impressed with against Liverpool. Um, but here's your youth loan and women's roundup. Charlie McNeil resumed his rampant scoring record for Manchester United as the club's under-18s returned from their winter break to beat Blackburn Rovers in dramatic fashion on Saturday lunchtime. Formerly of Manchester City, McNeil rejoined United in the summer for a fairly significant fee and two goals against Blackburn, both of them in the first half, take his season total up to eight. The 17-year-old has played nine games in the under-18 Premier League. McNeil's first goal came in the first minute of the game, assisted by Charlie Savage. By half-time, United's lead would have extended to a comfortable three, the second from McNeil and the third finished off by Noam Emran and set up by Dylan Hugerverf. After the break, Blackburn got themselves back into the game. Zach Gilsonan scored a 26-minute hat-trick to draw the game level. United have been guilty of gifting away leads far too often at this level, often due to a lack of defensive composure. But while that is true, it's also true that United can show fantastic mentality and that was evident 
again at Blackburn on Saturday. Charlie Savage restoring United's lead with an 88th minute winner for a 4-3 win. The three points extend United's lead at the top of the under-18 Premier League to six points. Liverpool are second, while Manchester City, who have two games in hand, trail United by nine points now. The under-23s, meanwhile, beat Birmingham 1-0 in a friendly. Charlie McCann scored the goal. Lucas Beja and Dermot Mee have both left United, joining Slask, Rocklaw and Fulham, respectively. Teeth Chong was an unused substitute for Werder Bremen at the weekend. Ali Traore not involved against Rodez. Dishon Bernard did play 90 minutes for Salford against Harrogate in a 2-2 draw. James Garner unused for Watford. Most of the loans aren't working at the moment, unfortunately. Only Dishon Bernard at Salford having any success and getting regular game time, really. Manchester United women beat Birmingham 2-0 on Sunday, thanks to goals from Leah Galton and Ella Toon, both in the second half. It's another solid victory and a needed one after the Reds were beaten 2-1 by Chelsea last week. Back to winning ways this weekend. And the result restores United to the top of the Women's Super League table. They now have 29 points, three more than Chelsea, but the Blues have two games in hand. They are in control and the favourites for the title, but United are an excellent team at the moment and very much in the race. It's a great achievement so far. They need to keep it up. United did play well in the first half, getting off 12 shots without scoring. James, Galton and Gronan all missed good chances, but straight after the restart, Leah Galton put United ahead and it was a pretty dominant performance in truth from Casey Stoney's team, Birmingham only having one shot and United having 23 in the end. Right, Jack, before we dive into Van der Beek, Mason Greenwood and, and plenty more in the Q&A, uh, let's talk Sheffield United and Arsenal very quickly. Solskjaer said after the Liverpool game, I want to see the reaction, how we now mentally go again against Sheffield United. That's a challenge now. And it's yet another example of how well he talks in the media. He read, there's just so few, I, I actually think it's rare. There's so few kind of media gaffes from Solskjaer. It, there never has been. I can't think of any. And that is, I think that's kind of another underrated um, quality of his, but it, he's right. United's, need to beat Sheffield United and need to beat Arsenal. And if they do, then January has been the most ridiculous month. What are you expecting this week though? I, I'm expecting a, a fresh Bruno Fernandes against Sheffield United to try and do some damage. Yeah, Sheffield United is uh, obviously a game that you would expect us to win, although they did give us a bit of a fright last time. I think the, the Arsenal game is huge for us not only because it's a big game obviously against Arsenal a, a traditional rival but I think actually personally more so for the, the symbolism of, of, of the game and what it represents because Arsenal was the last time we lost in the league back yeah. on I think November the 1st or 2nd and to be honest I, that, that was a really bad performance and I remember being really down after that game just sort of yeah. thinking you know where would this season go from here and, <laughs> and sort of how bad will, will it eventually get and it's incredible. It was just, just incredible, the turnaround we've had from there. But I think, you know, being able to go out there and slay the demons that sort of crops up against Arsenal, being able to, to beat the team that sort of last was the last time that we lost in the Premier League would be a huge moral victory for us. And just symbolically, I think, even just personally, to, to be able to go out there and it would it would almost be like a com- the completion of of this amazing turnaround. Not that the season is done or anything like that, but just almost to say that we we've we've overcome almost everything that that has been thrown at us recently, and that we have just done such a good job at, at completely sort of turning the ship around since that first Arsenal game at Old Trafford in November. It's a big week, I think. It really is. You know, we're on obviously on a high now. Solskjaer said it himself after the, the game at Anfield last week that. Nil-nil is not a terrible result as long as we then go on and keep winning our upcoming games. Yeah. If you then beat Sheffield United and Arsenal, it's been you know the perfect reaction after the Liverpool game, and then that nil-nil suddenly becomes actually a very good result. Yeah. There, there's a bit of me that thinks the Sheffield United game is, I'm not, not going to say more important, but more telling maybe that if United can have a, a kind of a what would have been an iconic victory against Liverpool had fans been present uh, and what in truth is a great victory but not one that will truly be remembered in the same way as for, say 99 Solskjaer or other great wins in the past against whoever but to, to go from that and to then put in a professional performance and win against Sheffield United that is is a would be a testament to mentality but also fitness and, and performance and squad rotation um so, and it's kind of United have been doing well against teams of this stature recently when in the past we were slipping up. 
And I mean, we drew to Leicester, we drew to uh, Liverpool, we drew to City in the last few weeks, drawing to Arsenal. Yeah, it'd be fantastic if we win, but it's, those are the games that you kind of not expect to drop points in, but that at some point in the season, you are going to drop points in. If you can beat all of the teams in the lower half of the table, that is the the really solid foundations of, of what you need and what we have lacked over the past few seasons. So to continue a good record against those teams by beating Sheffield United would be would be big, I think. It, it would be really nice as well, not only to beat Sheffield United, and obviously that is the most important thing, but also to, to put a few goals past them and, and have sort of a big win. I think that's the one thing this run, obviously we beat Leeds 6-2, which was a it's just an incredible <laughs> game but Le- yeah. Leeds are a little bit of a different beast because they play such a unique style and are so open I th- that's the, probably the one thing that is missing for me is really sort of putting our authority on one of these games against the lower like, lower table teams and really being able to just you know sweep them aside really really comfortably this is, is credit yeah. to us in that we've won so many close games but almost all of our wins recently have been by one goal and I think it would be yeah. a huge, huge boost for for us. And just being selfish as a fan, I want to see us, you know, really smash a team and come out and beat them four or five nil and have a really comfortable victory. Yeah, <laughs> whether that comes, I, I can't is, see it. I can't either. I, I can't see it against Sheffield United because they have been. Not only have they basically been solid all season, and I remember previewing the game against them last time and saying I don't expect us to win big because. They have they they have constantly been close to causing upsets yeah. against Leicester, Liverpool, Arsenal, so many teams. So uh, I mean, a two nil victory for me would be just basically perfect. Um, a clean sheet, I think, is important as well. I think they've only um, lost like one game, maybe two games all season by more than one goal. So this, yeah, this is not prob- not probably yeah. a game where that's going to happen. But that's that's my uh, my selfish dream. Arsenal, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe against Arsenal instead. We're going to move on to what would normally be the patron only Q&A, but this time in celebration at, at beating Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool uh, is going to be an everyone Q&A. The questions have come from our patrons. So thank you f- to them for their support and for their questions. If you'd like to sign up to become a patron, go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there. And you can find information about how to do so for, I mean, anywhere from 38p a week to a tenner a month or uh, 15 pounds a month to get a various amount of extra content. To begin with, we're going to go to a question we were asked last week, but we didn't, half didn't have time to answer and half I wanted to delay because I thought he would play in the Liverpool game. Mason Greenwood, he did play in the Liverpool game and obviously had a, a very good one before he was taken off scoring United's first goal. The question came from Mod Nair, who was asking about our take on Greenwood and whether we should be worried about him having a bit of a dip in form. Uh, my answer, had we answered before, would have been no, not really, because I think he'll he'll start scoring again. And and he he has now scored. Um, I, I I did just have this strange feeling that he was going to do something against Liverpool, which is why we delayed slightly. He is obviously going to go through dips in form, and this was the longest one. I think it was eleven games without scoring for United. Not all of them starts, but it, it, there was a little bit of a concern. But no, I'm, I think I'm pretty pleased with his development at the moment. Yeah, it's obviously not been the easiest season for him so far. You know, I think it was always going to be a little bit of a regression to the mean after such a, an incredible breakout season last year, especially after lockdown when he was playing so, so well. It's been tough, you know, not having as many opportunities as last year on account of the fact that, you know, our depth has improved and we haven't been reliant on him quite as much, which is probably a good thing for the club. But also just he's not been in, in great form. There's obviously been some stuff going on on off the field as well. But I think, you know, you have to give him full credit every time he's played, even if when he hasn't been scoring, he's not exactly been bad. You know, he's, he, I don't think I can remember Mason Green putting in a, a bad performance. It's just that some games he's not been quite as effective as he would want. I thought he was brilliant against Liverpool. His movement is improving week by week. And that's the biggest improvement that I've seen from him this season. He maybe hasn't been quite as clinical as, as we would want, but that will definitely come. And, and someone who's shooting just naturally is as good as Greenwood's. It, it, you know, the, the goals will come and the finish, I think actually went very under the radar against Liverpool because that was not easy. A bouncing ball. Alisson had, had shut down the angle quite well and that finish into the bottom corner was uh, was very, very good. I, I think 
it's not it's not a time to worry too much about Greenwood. I think it's natural that in any young player's career, you know, with the exception of the likes of you know, Mbappe and, and Messi, which is just a completely un uh, you know un unattainable and what's the word I'm looking for? Yeah, um, unfair. That's the word I'm looking for. Unfair sort of scale in which to <laughs> yeah. to measure him. It's completely natural that young players' careers will ebb and flow like this, and I think this is just something that. We have to live with for a while until he, he improves and gets a little bit older, more experienced and hopefully more consistent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Donny van der Beek, I said we'd talk about him. I, I do want to talk about him. And, and we got a question from Marek from Perth, Australia, who said, what is your prediction on van der Beek's role at United? Is he likely to stay and play occasionally or will we see him go this summer? Basically, should he stay? Uh, yeah, I, I, I am, I'm convinced that Van der Beek will go on to become an r- important player for United uh, for for all sorts of reasons. And I've been impressed with how he has dealt with the, the lack of minutes. I also think that Solskjaer, in terms of talking about Van der Beek, has dealt with it well. He's never put the pressure on him. He's he's bigged him up and he, he's kind of dealt with the interrogation in the interrogation in, into Van der Beek's lack of minutes really well but the the efficiency with which we played on the counter-attack with the lineup that began against Liverpool um, was really telling I think it, it, it's a different United team there's a lot to be said for the Pogba Bruno Martial Rashford format of high risk high reward stuff all the time particularly summed up by, by Fernandes obviously but Van der Beek and Cavani instead of Martial and Bruno change it a lot, I think. Rashford and Pogba can a- adapt to it and it, it is more efficient. You see the first goal, the, the Pogba tackle and pass, Van der Beek pass, Rashford pass, Greenwood goal within just a few seconds. And everything with Van der Beek is is so different to Fernandez. Um And I don't think he's... I mean, perhaps he is a possible long-term replacement. If we're still going off the idea that Pogba's going to leave in the summer. Perhaps Van der Beek is the man that Solskjaer sees as being that, that third midfielder, if you like, with a good defence midfielder behind them and, and Fernandez in front. And I can kind of see that. I think he, he's got some, some work to do. And look, against Liverpool, he wasn't, he wasn't unbelievably good, but I just, he, the way he, he can play between the lines and drop between the lines and, and play with such efficiency, he's just, I, I, I really like him. And it is all done on the, I guess, the eye test. I haven't got any, any stats to back this up or anything, but I just really enjoy watching him play. And I, when I watch him play, I see a player who I think can be a really good one for United. I think, I think the coaches do as well. Yeah, I, I, I would be massively surprised if Van der Beek was to leave anytime soon. I think it's natural that he's been frustrated and there's been some murmurings in the media that maybe he's unhappy and his agent's coming in and all this stuff. I, I don't think that's anything really to be concerned about or surprised about. You know, he hasn't, he's come in in a relatively big money move over the summer and he, he just hasn't got many opportunities. And, and I think that's fair enough, both on the part of Van der Beek and maybe to a slightly lesser extent on Solskjaer and the coaching staff too. I think I think there definitely have been opportunities to give Van der Beek some more chances that he's probably deserved based on his performances. And I think it's right that Van der Beek is sort of pushing to get more chances, but really he hasn't put a foot wrong. And I'm, I agree with you, Harry. I'm excited about where he might end up in the future at United because I, I really do see a good player there. And I see a player who would actually offer us so much in this team. It, obviously getting him in and, and fitting him into this system is the difficulty, but I've said this before on the, on the podcast quite a lot that I want to see Van der Beek and Fernandez playing together regularly because I really do think that the two of them would, would create a really, really good tandem for us because you have Fernandez's ability to pick brilliant through balls, brilliant crosses. The quality that he possesses is, is incredible, but then you also match that with Van der Beek's efficiency. I think that is the key word yeah. with Van der Beek is, is efficiency, is efficiency on the ball, which is definitely not something that you can, you associate with Fernandez's game. And I just think they would complement each other so well in that Van der Beek would help us to have a, to more sustained attacks and rather than sort of being quite a helter-skelter team, it's sort of how I describe us sometimes, especially in big games when we're trying to play on the counter-attack, is that we're trying to do everything at 100 miles an hour and actually, we just need someone to not slow the game down necessarily, but not be desperate to put our players through on goal 
immediately after we pick up the ball. And Van der Beek yeah. is brilliant at, at just keeping the play ticking over, but also having the quality to open up the defence as we saw in the FA Cup a couple of weeks ago as well. Yeah, I, I, there, there's both that. It doesn't feel like there's an urgency to get to the goal straight away when we win it back. But I almost feel like with Van der Beek on the pitch, you get there quicker because... I, I mean, if you, if you think about the, the way that Bruno sets those counterattacks up and, and they're brilliant. This is not a criticism of, of Bruno Fernandes, but he'll typically receive the ball and then normally kind of run with it for a bit and then either play off somebody else or play a short pass or, or get that ball over the top of the defense and, and let Rashford or Martial, who, who are playing on the shoulder, run onto it. With Van der Beek, you, if we consider the, when he came on against Newcastle in the 4 1, and that lovely goal that uh, yeah, Bruno Fernandes finished off. That 15 minutes. Yeah, but also the goal against Liverpool where Pogba defends really well on the edge of his own box and, and Van der Beek just passes it immediately to Rashford. And it's it's that efficiency and that quickness. And I think even though it feels like United are more urgent to get towards the goal with Bruno in, as that number 10, with Van der Beek, I think you might end up there quicker. Um and we haven't got a big, a big enough kind of sample size to be able to tell that yet. But he just kind of, he, he just acts as a link all over the pitch. And um, the way he picks up positions is really good. And yeah, I am, I'm becoming more and more convinced that we will look back at this first six months of his United career and think that was just a time he was just settling down and getting used to the to the team and, and that the coaches were getting used to him and that I, I I am convinced that he will become a good and important player for United where I I don't know yet. Um we'll have to see. Um but yeah, I I'm I'm confident in that. In terms of midfield, uh Reed Blazer's got a question. He says, what are your thoughts on the Fred and McTominay midfield combo for big games? Our first two goals on Sunday came from quick quality passes out of midfield that United don't always get from Fred and McTominay. Is it time to start going with a more attacking minded midfield partnership for big games? It's an interesting one. I think in short, Fred and McTominay, as I said earlier, always felt like a short term. That was the best for now. I think as United are getting more confident, as Pogba is coming into better form and perhaps in the future as United sign a very good defensive midfielder, which they urgently need to do to become a title challenging slash winning team. Yeah, that that will change. I think the Fred McTominay thing will quickly become a thing of the past, even though it has served us well so far. I don't think there's any need to change at the minute, especially not for the rest of this season. I think they, they do a job, yeah. you know, and and they do the job well, but I do I agree with the on on sort of looking at a sort of a longer term arc to this question. I completely agree that there will come a point where that isn't enough in these big games. I, I was tweeting about this quite a lot in the Liverpool game at Anfield. In that, I think the biggest thing holding us back in big games at the moment is that we don't have a midfielder who can do both. So the the job that both Fred and Pogba would do in big games, in that with Pogba you have someone who can dictate the game from deep who is good enough on the ball to give us some quality when we're trying to launch these counter-attacks or just to even hold on to the ball for you know a few minutes and give our defence some respite. But you also want someone who can do the defensive job of a Fred or a McTominay. And we just don't have a midfielder that can do both. And all the yeah. best teams in the world do have a, a, a player like that. You know, look at Casemiro at, at Real Madrid, look at Busquets for Barcelona for so many years, Kimmich and, and Thiago to some extent at, at Bayern Munich as well. You know, that is the kind of player that, that we have... I think been missing and that would really elevate our, our ability to play in those big games. I don't think there's any need to change it for this season because that, that player definitely won't be coming in. Um, but that's why I was sort of pining for, for Thomas party last summer. Cause I think he is that sort of player, but I think long-term that should be an area that, that we look to strengthen. Cause I think that would, it would let us be a bit more aggressive in these big games in the way that we set up without compromising how stable we are defensively. Yeah, yeah, I think that's exactly it. It's it's almost like with McTominay and Fred, it, it is the best option for now, but it's 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 kind of like we're we're having to waste a player in order to fulfil the functions that, as you say, one very good player could do by themselves. Um, so yeah, I think I think the more this the, the, this good run has to last for a while longer to start. 
being confident enough that our attack is good enough that we can sacrifice that. I don't think we're quite at that stage yet, but it's certainly, it's definitely something that, um, you, I am noticing more at the moment that as we're getting better, you start, we're kind of searching for the weaknesses in the team, but that their weaknesses in a good team. So they're not necessarily that bad. It's just, they could be better. And I think the Matomine Fred midfield combination, as Reed says, is, is probably one of those things. Um, a couple final, final questions. Another one from Modnaya who says, I would like to ask about players chance, like Portuguese Magnifico, um, for Bruno Fernandes, just saying, how does it originate in general and spread through the supporters? Um, well, I mean, uh, Mod asks about it being started in, 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 in pubs or in stadiums or if lyrics are needed to be printed out. Um, the truth is mainly, yeah, mainly in pubs. Um, and, and as Mod says, mainly in pubs by drunk fans. Some are very creative and funny. Uh, what's your favorite one? I, I, I do. I have the Bruno chant's good. I think my favorite ones are probably the, the older ones. I don't know if I could give you a favorite United chant, but it's been far too long since I've been able to sing any in a stadium. So that's, that's probably why. But yeah, mainly, mainly in pubs, mainly just one person starts them with the help of a few others and people slowly start to pick up the lyrics. For example, the Bruno Fernandes one, I remember being in Barca Bar in Deansgate in Manchester before the Wolves game on what February 1st 2020 and some and you just started to hear Bruno 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 and then I remember just listening to the lyrics and after a couple of rounds of having heard it and picked up the lyrics just started joining in so that is how that Bruno Fernandes song started um yeah so not sure about my favourite one. The, the last question from Dave Shevlin says, uh, who are both of your three favourite United players ever? To make it easier, you could try to do a favourite defender, midfielder and forward, um, if you like. Uh, I, it's favourite three ever. In terms of, I, I guess it's different in terms of personality favourite or best player favourite. So for example, defender, the, the instant one that comes to mind for me would be Rio Ferdinand. But in terms of like personality, then you've got Neville, Raphael, uh, Vidic. Ever, and, surely uh, you've got to be in there as yeah, well. Yeah, Ever as well. There's, there's that kind of weird, but I t- maybe it's, it's saying who, <laughs> if you had to pick a defender, midfielder and forward for United, who would it be? And I think it would be Rio and Rooney. And then in midfield, oh, I guess, I mean, the natural answer would be Keane, but <laughs> Giggs. Beckham's goals. There's, oh, there's too many options. I, I loved Michael Carrick, but he, yeah, I, he wouldn't be my, f- my favorite player. But I, I mean, um, you can take over while I have a ponder over all the very good players <laughs> I could choose. Well, I'll, I'll go back to the last question as well. I, I, I kind of with you about the, on the, uh, favorite chart that my, my favorite is probably be some of the older ones. Remember my, um, one of my, the favourite memories at Old Trafford was always seeing the the Ronaldo song. He plays on the left, he plays on the right. Um, but I think my favourite of the more recent ones would probably be the Harry Maguire one that was uh, short-lived, but I really like that one. I think in terms of the uh, the players, David Beckham would probably be my obvious one. I, he was just my hero growing up. I'm, I'm from the same town as David Beckham, so he's just a hero so where I grew up. Um, and so it's always been Beckham for me as a midfielder. He annoyingly wasn't, I don't really remember much of him in a United shirt, unfortunately. But other than that, I think when they were players at United, I would probably say Vidic. If I'm going for a defender, Vidic probably. But I think since they've left, it would definitely be, if I had to pick now, it'd definitely be Evra. Just because how vocal he is about his love for the club is so endearing. (laughs) Um, And just sort of seeing him now that he is literally like a big kid just supporting United. Um, but when when they were players, it, I Vidic of that sort of great United defense was definitely my my well, favorite. It's that weird. And then it, it I, I was just going to say it's like if you asked me for a list of my favorite players and then tried to fit it into defender midfield or forward, John O'Shea would be in there. Solskjaer would have been in there even before he yeah. became United manager. Wes Brown would have been in there. Fletcher. Um, I loved Antonio Valencia. Fletcher and Park, two of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah, Ashley Young, I loved for a long time, even before he joined United. So there is, but I mean, in terms of best, I'd probably go Rio. Ronaldo would have to be the forward, even though I'd, I'd, my favorite player, my favorite United player of all time is, is probably Wayne Rooney. And 
Midfield is, I think midfield is the hardest one. Yeah, I reckon, I mean, I, I'll go for more favourite rather than purely best. It would have to be Rooney for me. Uh, I think anyone from our, from around our sort of age who sort of grew up yeah. with that sort of mid to late 2000s United team, you'd, you'd be hard pressed yeah. to find anyone who wouldn't say Rooney. And then just, uh, yeah, personally, I think on account of, of my own sort of love of David Beckham, I'd have to have Beckham as my midfielder. Um, and it probably would be Evra, I think, as a defender. I, I just, I don't think there's anyone else that I could put in there above him. Vidic would be really the only one that I would consider. But I think purely because of how much I love the way that Evra is still a massive fan of the club, very vocally, I would have to go Evra. Yeah. What's what's silly is that even though this is completely irrelevant to, to the, the point, but I'm I'm picturing me having to make a three-man United team and I'm trying to think of players who would suit together <laughs> which is is not at all relevant to the point but is why I'm kind of I'm boxing myself in so I, I wasn't really thinking of fullbacks so I thought no you need a you need a proper centre-back as that central defender and then Rooney up front can give you a bit of versatility and that's kind of why I didn't think of Beckham either um, so yeah <laughs> favourite United player ever is Wayne Rooney Rashford is is well up there, and it's worth pointing out today. Yeah, and and getting further up that list, by exactly. The day as and well. it's worth pointing out today of all days that Rashford is now on eighty-two goals, the same as Cantona. He's overtaken York and Van Persie. The kid is twenty-three, and he's played two hundred and forty-five times for United. It's it's ridiculous. He's surely going to become the all-time appearance record holder as long as he doesn't leave or have a serious injury. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, two years ago saying that you'd say as long as he keeps on developing. Now, you you just cannot see any way that for the next decade, Marcus Rashford doesn't carry on playing for United. And in which case, playing yeah, at 50 games a season, he'll have another 500 um, by, and he's normally playing more than 50 anyway. So say 60, he'll have 600 by the time he's 33, in addition to the 245. And that puts him... <laughs> That puts him as the second of all time behind Giggs, I think, because um, Giggs broke Charlton's appearance record in the, the 2008 final. Um, and then Giggs ended up getting 960. Oh, that's a that's bad, I don't know. That's a common quiz question. 964? <laughs> I'm going to check it. I want to say 963, I thought. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, 963. You're right. And Charlton seven five eight, so gigs nine six three. It's a it's a long way to go to beat that record. It, it it takes it would take something pretty remarkable, and Marcus Rashford might be that remarkable yeah. man. And uh, yeah, oh, it's just the uh, you forget actually, and even even I forget forgot when I made that comment. Actually, you forget just how how long gigs played yeah. for, and not just playing like a couple of games a season. He was still making like. 25, 30 games a season when he was 38, 39. Yeah, I mean, if if you think about Rashford having a similar career to Rooney, which I think we would all be quite happy with, Rooney played for the club 559 times, which is an immense achievement, but is, I mean, almost half of Ryan Giggs. <laughs> it, it, it really would take something remarkable to beat Giggs' record. That is a just, yeah, just ridiculous. It, it would take Rashford to play until he was, to play all the time until he was 35 at United. And and given he's already played for five years, that would be a 17-year career at the top as a striker, a striker who is also partially reliant on his pace. So it, it would be pretty difficult, but yeah. Um, yeah, uh, just it, Giggs was a, a phenomenon. So um, there is that. But he might be able to take um, take over Bobby yeah. Charlton's spot at number two. I think that's quite a nice way to wrap things up, isn't it? Yeah, looking into when Rashford's an old man. <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about what year, if if Rashford was to break it, what year would that be? 2030? It's got to be 15 years five. from now. I mean, probably, that's, yeah. that's outrageous, isn't it? To try and think about Manchester United in 2035. Uh, it's kind of beyond comprehension <laughs> for me. Solskjaer still be manager, I'm, I'm assuming. Don't don't tease me with. I've, we've spoken <laughs> about hope already. Don't tease me with with hope like that. Rashford still up front, and and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer still as manager would be. Ah, oh, that's definitely a nice way to wrap Erling things Harland up. Erling has just left after ten glorious <laughs> years as United striker, and a, a very senior Paul Pogba has just joined the coaching staff after 
initially being a frustrating to United fans, but eventually winning them over by being one of the world's best players. I think we could, we can carry on dreaming, but um, we will wrap things up there. If you've enjoyed this Q&A, patrons, thank you for supporting us. Thank you for giving us these questions and and giving us the chance to do stuff like this. If you'd like to join them and become a patron, ask questions, hear this chat every week after the normal episode, you can go to our Twitter at UTD Weekly Pod. That's P-O-D at the end there and find out information as to how. For stuff from Jack throughout the week, you can find him on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T. And you can find me on Twitter at Harry Robinson 64. And as I say, the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod. That is all we have time for. Um, we have gone vastly over um, the, the normal time limit, but there we go. Have a great week. Enjoy the satisfaction of knowing that Manchester United are the team in English football with the momentum. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.